Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. I'm Adam Rosen, and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Again, in the uh, third um, episode of this season, which is geared more for the primary care or non-orthopedic provider, I'm going to just basically move up the leg. We've talked about the knee. We've talked about the Achilles. Now I want to talk about the hip. Um, and the hip is similar um, in a lot of ways to how we deal with knee. Um, and at the same time, it's a little bit more complicated because there's a little bit more to think about or to worry about. So again, we're not talking about the traumatic um, injury off a motorcycle, or I'm not talking today about the elderly fragility fall. We're talking about typically your 50 and older non-traumatic patient that presents with hip pain. You know, so first of all, you know, one of the first things that I like to kind of review, and it's not a 100% guarantee, but you know, when you say hip pain, where? You know, have patients point because patients that point to the groin, you know, that's typically the hip joint, you know, then we're really worried about this is a hip problem. You know, it could be testicular problem, could be a hernia problem. Um, but for the most part, if they're pointing to the groin, it can be a hip problem. If they're pointing to the side or laterally, that more commonly is hip bursitis, trochanteric bursitis, or lateral hip pain syndrome, or iliotibial band problems. Now, occasionally people with bad hip arthritis can also have those. Um, but more frequently, we're going to start to think along those lines. And then when they point to the buttock, you know, we're thinking more gluteal, piriformis, or referred or radicular pain from the lumbar spine. But I'll even have people come in with hip pain and they're pointing to their SI joint or low back. You know, so when someone says hip pain, you know, we always ask where, and the where starts to narrow down the differential. Uh, Now, again, somebody comes in with chest pain, you know, you're going to examine them, do some initial preliminary treatment, oxygen, aspirin, things like that. But you're going to get an EKG, you're going to get a troponin, and get a CPK. Um, somebody comes in with hip pain, even though it's non-traumatic, obviously you're going to talk to them, you're going to examine them, but get an x-ray. And it has to be a weight-bearing x-ray. So we talked about this with the knee. If somebody is lying down and they're lying on a table, it does not give you an assessment of the hip. It does not give you an assessment of the joint space. It does not give you an assessment of pelvic tilt. Um, So it does not give you a firm understanding of what the problem is. It's notorious that somebody gets a a non-weight-bearing x-ray and they get examined and maybe, you know, told they have bursitis and physical therapy, you know, everything else is tried and tried and tried, doesn't get better. They come to us, we get an x-ray that's standing, they're bone on bone, you got arthritis. Um, So the weight-bearing x-ray is key. Uh, and on the x-ray, it's good to get in the habit of continuing to actually look at the images, not just the report. You know, So we're looking at, again, the four radiographic findings of arthritis in that hip joint become joint space narrowing, sclerosis, osteophytes, and subchondral cystic changes. They may have it on just one hip. They may have it on both hips. They also may have some deformities, You know, things like Perthes disease. Um, they may have something like dysplasia, where they have a shallow hip socket. You know, most common left hip, most common firstborn female, um, but they can have it on either hip and you can see it in guys. So if they have a very shallow acetabulum where the head is uncovered, 
that may be a reason why someone young may also have arthritis because they basically worn through that cartilage prematurely. Uh, so the x-rays are really key. And if they have severe arthritis, bone-on-bone arthritis, there is no reason for an MRI. You know, again, unless you're thinking tumor or fracture or infection. But again, and we'll talk about the labrum later, but more often than not, again, like the knee, unnecessary imaging, which is expensive, time-consuming, wastes patients, you know, funding time and causes anxiety and angst because they hear about these horrible things that the radiologist says, like full thickness, cartilage loss, bone marrow edema, insufficiency fracture, tear and macerations and destruction with extrusion of the labrum. And at the end of the day, I can tell them that they just have arthritis. So just understand, like in the knee, if you're over 50, the majority of people are going to have labral tears. They're going to have meniscus tears in their knee and labral tears in their shoulder, labral tears in their hip. And almost 100% of people with arthritis will have labral tears. So we do not care about the labrum in the arthritic patient. Um, So if they do have arthritis on x-ray, what your exam typically will find is that they will have groin pain. Again, occasionally lateral pain, occasionally buttock pain, but most commonly groin pain. The simple question to ask for most people is, do you have difficulty tying your shoes and socks and crossing your legs? And when they can't, that is classically hip arthritis. If you have a guy who doesn't play soccer and thinks he pulled his groin for the past nine months, he has hip arthritis until proven otherwise. You know, because a lot of times they'll describe this dull ache in their groin and lo and behold, their hip doesn't rotate and their x-ray shows arthritis. They have arthritis. You know, it's different in a soccer player that can truly have an adductor muscle puller strain, but if they don't do those things, think arthritis. Now, If you examine them and they do have good range of motion, that typically is a patient that just doesn't have a lot of bone spurs or osteophytes. I do have some patients that have horrible bone-on-bone arthritis, but surprisingly pretty well-preserved range of motion. And if they have good range of motion, um, that's a benefit for them, but it doesn't discount the diagnosis of arthritis. So again, like we talked about for the knee, if you diagnose somebody with arthritis based on the exam, confirmed with the x-rays then you want to treat them. If they're overweight, they need to work on weight loss. If they're not exercising, they need a low-impact exercise program. If they're weak, or even with arthritis and fairly strong, a strengthening program can help. If they haven't used any oral medications, starting with over-the-counter medications like acetaminophen, or if there's not a contraindication, NSAIDs may help. If those fail, or maybe someone is doing well with Tylenol, not a candidate for surgery right away, can't take anti-inflammatories, an intra-articular cortisone injection can sometimes be helpful. And if they're still having pain and symptoms, an assisted device such as a cane or a walker is an option. Do not put them on narcotics. Vicodin and Percocet are not a good treatment for people with hip arthritis. Start with non-narcotic medications if needed. Start with exercise, start with weight loss if indicated, and keep an eye on the cane. You know, if the right hip is the arthritic one and they need a cane, the cane goes in the opposite hand, the left hand. Why? If your right hip hurts and you put the cane in your right hand, which a lot of people do, and you shift the weight onto your right hand, you take the center of gravity from your midline and shift all of that weight onto your painful arthritic hip. So that cane goes in the opposite hand. So when your right foot steps forward, your left hand goes down and it shifts the weight off of that bad hip. It's one of those simple things that you can help with patients right in the office and they walk out of there already feeling better. And if all of those things fail and the patient's a candidate for surgery, you know, then you have them as seen and evaluated by an orthopedic surgeon. Now, what if 
you have minimal arthritis and no arthritis, and there are pains on the side. Okay, so nobody's fingers are good enough typically to tell you exactly what it is. You know, is it hip bursitis? Is it piriformis syndrome? Is it gluteal tendinopathy? Is it IT band syndrome? Typically, it's more than one. And that's where the term more recently, what's called lateral hip pain syndrome, has been used because it encompasses sort of all of those problems. And the nice thing is that the treatments are all fairly similar. And if you do all of those things, it typically helps everything. So one of the big key and important things to look for, though, is what's called a Trendelenburg sign or Trendelenburg gait. So again, if we're talking about the right hip, specifically the gluteus, medius, and minimus, insert to the top and the back of that trochanter, if those are completely torn, they will have a Trendelenburg gait or Trendelenburg sign. So if you ask them to stand on their right leg, pick their left foot up, the pelvis will tilt to the left side down uh, because the abductors can't stabilize the pelvis. And if you have them walk, you'll see that every time they step with the right, the left hip drops. That's a Trendelenburg gait. That indicates that those tendons are torn. That's actually where an MRI may not be a bad idea to see if the tendons are retracted and if the muscle has been infiltrated with fat because it may or may not be repairable based on those findings in the patient's age. But more often than not, they have tendonitis or gluteal tendinopathy, which means that they don't have this true Trendelenburg sign or gait, but they may have pain when they do a single leg stance. And if you palpate specifically, like we talked about in the knee, it's not the actual bone, it's the spot just above the bone and just behind the bone, and that can be the gluteal tendons. If that's the case, anti-inflammatories can help, ice and heat can help, and you want to reduce the pain first and then typically start a strengthening program. And the two simple exercises are an abduction exercise where they can do it either standing up, which is easier, holding onto a counter, standing on one leg, taking the other leg and bringing it out to the side and back in. And what's doing the clamshell, the clamshell laying on the side, keeping the ankles together, bending the knees and lifting the knee up. So again, those are simple things that you can teach them in your office without physically sending them to physical therapy and give them a home exercise program. And that can tend to help. Now, in addition to that, if they also have bursitis or trochanteric bursitis, I'll typically start with the same types of things of stretching, ice, heat, anti-inflammatories to reduce pain, strengthening of those hip muscles, because by strengthening those muscles, you may reduce hip pain. And I will not and typically rarely ever give cortisone injections because the people that we see are people that have seen the primary rheumatologist and have had umpteen cortisone injections. And now the last cortisone injection the tendon's weakened, it's ruptured. And now they've had half a dozen cortisone injections, the tendon's ruptured, and it may not be fixable at this point. The tissue's been destroyed. Um, so cortisone injections need to be very cautiously considered and very cautiously given because there is a potential bad side effect that can occur. The other issue that I see commonly over the years is that someone gets a cortisone injection. So they don't ice, they don't use anti-inflammatories, they don't stretch, they don't strengthen, and then they just come back for another cortisone injection. So it propagates the system because they're not fixing the problem. They're just coming in to get it masked by this anti-inflammatory. So it's really, really important to treat those people. Now, for people that are refractory to exercise anti-inflammatories, ice stretching, that's where a cane or walker may be helpful for the short term. You know, the analogy that I use with my patients is if you had a rotator cuff strain or partial tear that didn't need surgery and we tried to in therapy, but it was too painful Maybe we give you a course of an anti-inflammatory for a week or two and put you in a sling and then get you moving so you don't get a frozen shoulder and strengthen the muscle. So sometimes just the cane or the walker for a week or two is enough to reduce the inflammation in the tendon so that once the pain's better, then they can do the strengthening program. But for bursitis, a lot of times it's the IT band. So if the IT band's tight, 
it will pull. And that can be complicated by a knee deformity, a pelvic obliquity, a spinal um, scoliosis. Um, but all of those things can tighten up the IT band and cause a friction syndrome over the trochanter. So if the IT band's tight, you really want to focus on iliotibial band stretches. And there's a million of them. I actually refer a ton of my patients to the book Stretching, really easy title to remember by Bob Anderson. I think it's in its 30th edition. And it's a great way of getting people to do exercises and stretches at home in a very easy to understand format and book, as opposed to sending them to physical therapy. And this way they can use it for different body parts in the future. If their shoulder or neck hurts and they don't have a surgical problem, another problem, you can teach them these exercises that they can then do at home. Now, the other thing is the piriformis or piriformis syndrome, and occasionally that can occur. Um, and again, it's hard to really differentiate that in the office, but occasionally if you do rotation strength testing maneuvers, um, you can exacerbate it. Some anatomic variants um, actually have the sciatic kind of running through the, the piriformis tendon. It can cause true sciatica. And again, specific stretches are good for that. If you're good and knowledgeable, um, you can teach some stretches. It's one of those stretches which sometimes needs another set of hands. So this is one where sometimes if they truly have that, I may have them do a few sessions of physical therapy just because they need the therapist's hands to really get those legs in those positions. But I'll kind of document all of those things as the lateral hip pain syndrome because I rarely see one entity alone, um, but usually they may commonly have IT band syndrome with bursitis, with gluteal tendinopathy, with piriformis syndrome. And luckily, the ice, heat, anti-inflammatory stretching, strengthening are all the same. So they teach all those things. Now, it's an interesting side note and caveat, though, that the gluteus, medius, and minimus tendon, um, it is extremely important for hip and this Trendelenburg problem. It can decrease hip pain in people that have arthritis. But even knee pain, you'll see patients that have knee problems where the knee buckles inwards and rotates because those abductors aren't stabilizing the knee. So as they step, they'll say that the knee buckles in and the leg buckles in. can even be um, a causative issue with people that have flat feet or pes planus. So by having people work on these strengthening programs for the hip abductors, it stabilizes the hip at the hip level but it may not only help the hip, but it may also help knee and foot and ankle problems. So definitely two important muscles to consider um, when you're evaluating these patients. Now, the other aspect that we talk about is butt pain. Uh, people point to their butt, they point to their buttock. And again, can be piriformis, can be gluteal, but definitely think um, about the back. If it's lower down in the sit bone, it may be hamstring. So, you know, hamstring tendinopathy, even partial tears is not terrible in this older than 50 generation. You know, the, the kind of classic uh, two tendons torn greater than two centimeters is a surgical indication. Usually these are younger athletes. So this is someone that was playing soccer Saturday, you know, shows up Monday with pain ecchymosis. But the person that's had pain for months, you know, and they're 65, yes, you know, you order the MRI, they may have some partial tearing or even one tendon torn, but it's rare that they're going to need surgery. So that's sit bone pain hamstring tendinopathy. But when we move up into the butt and it's not the gluteal muscles, the piriformis, really think about the back. You know, you may have SI joint symptoms um, more on the SI joint, but if they have a low back and they get radiculopathy into the buttock, it's a back problem. So you may consider back x-rays to see how bad the back arthritis is. If they have referred pain all the way down the leg, I mean, we get these patients sent for hip pain. That's the chief complaint. That's the reason for consultation. And they'll describe, yeah, pain starts in my buttock, goes all the way down the back of my leg, through my calf, into my foot, into the toes. You know, they may have weakness. You're like, this is radiculopathy. This isn't a hip problem. 
hip notion's normal. Hip pains is, it's passing by the hip, but it's a back problem. It's radiculopathy. It may be from a disc herniation. It may be from foraminal stenosis, degenerative disc disease, spinal stenosis. But if they have pain that's going into the buttock, especially if it travels down the leg, um, really think back, get back x-rays. But if they have this persistent buttock pain with no other overt hip findings on x-ray or exam, again, think back, back x-rays. Now, without a true neurologic deficit, weakness, numbness, back pain, common, common complaint, even if it's back, low back, buttock, start with a low back strengthening program. And if they're heavy, lose weight. And if they're not exercising, that core strengthening program of the abdominal muscles in the low back, a lot of times within six to 12 weeks may eliminate those pains and symptoms. And I always have my patients start with a home exercise program. So the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has a really great PDF for a home spine conditioning program, things that you can print out and give to your patients that day to have them start. But again, treat pain first, reduce the pain for the first 72 hours, and then they can start with a back strengthening program if they don't have a bad neurologic deficit. Uh, Neurologic deficit or a home exercise program or physical therapy that has failed, that's where I'm thinking MRI of the spine. You know, if they have a neurologic deficit, MRI of the spine, failed physical therapy, MRI of the spine, but that does not become a hip problem. You know, that becomes then a spine problem. Now, what about the the other little um, thing that may come up in your little differential um, that we kind of talked about briefly though is, well, what about the labrum? So the labrum, again, majority of people over 50 have labral tears and almost everybody that has arthritis has a labral tear. So labral tears are diagnosed by an MRI, but they're problematic and fixable when someone's a young athlete. We're talking teenager, 20s, 30s. A lot of studies have shown patients in their 40s and above, whether or not they have a labral tear do poorly with arthroscopy. And the majority of those people wind up going to hip replacement within a year or so. Um, Because again, the labrum was found on MRI, but it was not the cause of the patient's symptoms. They may have had the labral tear for greater than two or three years if they're in their 40s, definitely if they're in their 50s or 60s. And the treatment is surgical and a hip replacement if they fail conservative care and the arthritis is bad enough. But when people look for a labral tear in an older patient with arthritis, you're always going to find it. You know, if somebody now was playing soccer on Saturday, twisted their leg, felt a pop, had pain, pain in the groin, a reproducible maneuver with twisting and impingement maneuvers, has catching and locking, that's a different animal. You know, that's a patient that you get an x-ray to rule out a fracture, MRI to confirm the labral tear, fails conservative care, you know, then a sports guy may be able to do something arthroscopically. But the older individual, the labrum is rarely a cause of problems or symptoms. And then the last thing that I'll sort of leave you with as far as hip etiologies and office diagnoses becomes what's called osteonecrosis or avascular necrosis. Now, although we're all taught that, you know, always ask, are you a steroid, you know, user for any particular reason or an alcoholic? Um, It is rare that those two are going to be seen in all AVN and osteonecrosis. Now, it kind of fits if someone's a heavy drinker, has osteonecrosis, you put two and two together, or someone's been on prednisone for umpteen years. Um, But the majority of times, you may not have an etiology for why it developed. But these are people that will come in with pain, probably pain that seems out of proportion if you catch them early. So these are people that have fairly normal x-rays, but the pain is way out of proportion and it is in the groin and it's worse with weight bearing. And you may, again, try the simple conservative things, anti-inflammatories, assisted devices, strengthening. But if this person's not getting better, sometimes it's worth repeating the x-rays in two or three weeks. Why? Stress fracture. 
So if you have somebody that has normal bone abnormal activity or normal activity abnormal bone, that may develop a stress fracture. If the pain's only been there for a couple days, you may not see it on the initial x-ray. Repeat the x-ray in two or three weeks. A distinct line in the femoral neck or in the pelvis, stress fracture. You've made the diagnosis. However, if you have a fairly younger person without arthritis on x-ray and they have horrible groin pain, which seems out of proportion to their examined images, then consider an MRI to look for osteonecrosis or avascular necrosis because once you make the diagnosis, then you can refer them on to an orthopedic specialist. Now, if they present later, they may actually have collapse of the femoral head. And then it becomes obvious on the plain x-ray. You don't even need the MRI because you'll see this superior lateral collapse. Most commonly, we'll see this on the lateral view earlier, but on the frontal or AP view, you'll see it if a large enough area is collapsed. And then again, you've made the diagnosis. Sometimes the MRI is helpful. Why? 50% of the time, it's bilateral. So you always want to be thinking and looking for it and then consider if there's some causative factor that led to this diagnosis, but then refer them on to the orthopedic specialist so they can review with them what the treatment options might be for the osteonecrosis. So I know that's a lot of information. Um, It's probably one of those things that if you have enjoyed this type of format and like the information, it may be worthwhile listening to it a couple times, but this way at least we're talking about hip pain in the office setting, patients over 50, groin pain, you know, obviously think non-orthopedic causes, but think arthritis, confirm with history, exam, and x-rays. You know, lateral pain, think lateral hip pain syndrome, IT band syndrome, trochanteric bursitis, piriformis ten- tendon, gluteal tendinopathy of the minimus and medius, you know, pain control, ice, stretching, anti-inflammatory, strengthening, assisted devices, physical therapy to consider if all of that fails, buttock pain, You know, think gluteal, think piriformis, but don't forget back. Radiculopathy, down the leg, think back. You know, and don't worry about the labrum in older individuals. Think osteonecrosis and pain that's out of proportion. Um, Think stress fracture, again, and pain that's out of proportion. So sometimes before you jump to the MRI, it may be useful to repeat the x-ray in two weeks. And there becomes sort of your your hip uh, evaluation in the office setting, non-traumatic patients over 50. Um, I'm Adam Rosen. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.